God's word comes to us today from a few different passages in Genesis and Ecclesiastes, beginning with Genesis 3, verses 17 to 24, which you can find in the Pew Bibles, in an app on your phone, or on the screen behind me. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Now Ecclesiastes 2, verses 17 to 19. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. And Ecclesiastes 4 verses 4 through 8. And I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much, Ashley. Um, We are looking at the subject of work. The Bible says that a Christian is a follower of Jesus, and the Bible says that a follower of Jesus is supposed to take their faith, take their their followingness of Jesus <laughs> into every area of their lives. It's supposed to affect every part of their lives. Everything that they do is meant to be touched by the Bible's teaching on who Jesus is, who we are, who God is, what he wants from us, etc. And what we were uh, looking at last week was how, how the Bible has a very unique take on work. Work is something that we do, it takes up a lot of our time, <laughs> takes up a lot of our energy, and if we're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, we're going to uh, have our work affected by our relationship to Jesus. Uh, but what the Bible says about work itself, at least as a thing, is that work is good. We learned that God works. He worked to create the world. He continues to work to sustain the world. 
And he gives work as a gift to human beings for us to, to flourish, for us not just to, profit, uh, to uh, prosper materially, but for us to prosper as human beings. It's part of our nature to work and to want to work. And so God has given it to us as something to, uh, <clears throat> to help produce the kind of flourishing life that we were created for. And that, like I said, is a unique view of work uh, throughout the world. If you look at uh, the ancient uh, Near East, or if you look at the ancient Greeks and Romans, if you look at uh, a whole host of, of different systems of thought, work is often seen as a necessary evil. It's a thing that you try to do uh, as little of as possible, or the thing that you try to, to get other people to do so that you don't have to do it. It's, it's a thing that you want to escape. It's, it's, it's a necessary evil, and that's all it is. Even though we would say as Christians, no, the Bible says that work is good, many people today don't actually experience it that way. For a lot of people, work is actually kind of unfulfilling. Uh, it feels sort of pointless. As, we, as I mentioned last week, 70% of people who were polled recently by Gallup said that uh, they were disengaged from their work. They didn't take any joy from it. Uh, they find it life-sucking. <laughs> they find it frustrating. And today we're going to figure out why. Why is it that work does often seem so pointless? Why does it often seem so frustrating? Why does it often seem so life-sucking? And hopefully, if we're able to figure out why that is, then maybe uh, we can figure out how to make some changes so that it doesn't feel that way to us all the time. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at how the fall has distorted work. This thing that God created oh so good is no longer oh so good for us because sin has entered the world. Now, before we get to the actual distortion of it, I have to do a little bit of background and explain to you that when God created the world, he created us to be in fellowship with him. He created us good. He created the universe good. And he made us to, to live in close, intimate relationship with him. And so when you read Genesis 2, you see that Adam and Eve, our first parents, did. They lived in close relationship with God. Then Adam and Eve and God were pretty tight. And, and everything around them was perfect. There was no sin. There was no distortion. There was no problems. They had anything that they wanted. And they could have almost anything that they wanted except one thing. God had said, there's a tree in the garden, I don't want you to eat from that tree. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat from that tree. Any other tree is fine, you have access to the whole place except that one tree. Now, the question is, why did Jesus, or why did God do that? Why did God say you can eat from all these trees, but you can't eat from that one? And the reason is, because God wanted his creation, Adam and Eve, and, and therefore all human beings, he wanted us to obey him out of trust and out of love, not out of obligation. Out of trust and out of love. Kids, listen up. Your parents ever say to you, no, don't eat that. Don't eat that. And then you ask them, why? Why can't I eat that? And they say, because I said so. Or they tell you, don't do that. And you say, why can't I do that? And they say, because I said so. Don't you just hate it when your parents say, because I said so? Please, is there a youngster out there who's nodding in agreement with me? I know that when I was a kid, I hated it. And I got it a lot. 
Don't do that. Don't eat that. Don't touch that. Don't have that. Don't go there. Why? Because I said so. That was the best I would get. And I would think, what a terrible reason. Because I said so. That's not a reason at all. Now, what if your parents said, don't eat that, and you say, why? And they say, well, because it'll make you sick. That meat that's been in the fridge for too long, if you bite into that, it's going to give you a stomach ache. And you say, hmm, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. All right, I won't eat it. What are you doing? Are you obeying? Yeah, kind of. But you're sort of agreeing too, right? You're, you're thinking it about, it about it yourself and you're saying, I agree with mom or dad about this thing and therefore I'm going to listen to their advice. But you're not doing it out of trust. You see, when your parents say, because I said so, they're saying, because of our relationship, because I'm the mom, I'm the dad, and you're the kid, I'm the one with wisdom, you're the one who's a fool. Sorry, kids, but everybody's born a fool. We all are. Lord willing, you'll grow out of it. A lot of people don't, but hopefully you won't, will. Um, I'm the parent, you're the child, I love you, I provide for you, I care for you, I need you to trust me. So do it because I'm telling you to do it. Don't eat it, don't touch it, because I said so. Not because I said so, but because it's me who said so. You can trust me. I'm your mom, I'm your dad, I care about you more than you could ever understand. That's why it's important to listen to your parents because they said so. Because of who they are. Not because of the power they wield over you, but because of the love and care they have for you. Do you understand? Well, this is how it is with God. God is trustworthy by his very nature. He is good. He is kind. He is gracious. And so he wanted Adam and Eve to obey him out of trust for who he is as their heavenly father. And of course, the story goes that Adam and Eve don't. <laughs> they don't trust him. They do eat from that tree, and they unleash sin and death and decay on God's perfect world that he made. Maybe you have heard uh, this line, things fall apart, the center cannot hold, mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. I think it was... William Butler Yeats, who said that. And it's true. Anarchy is loosed upon the world. Nothing works the way it's supposed to work. And when you get to Genesis 3, which we read, what we see is, is that these two great areas of our lives, relationships, love, and work, are distorted and become difficult. Even, even the, the two things are sort of put together. A woman, when she's having a baby, she goes into what? Labor. Right? And what we see is, is that as a result of this fall, there are three things that happen to work. Work becomes fruitless, work becomes pointless, work becomes selfish. And we're going to look at these three things together briefly. First of all, work becomes fruitless. Now, there's several aspects to that. If you look at verses 17, we're in Genesis 3. If you look at verses 17 through 19, it says, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground... Because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat fruit from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. Now, one aspect in which work becomes fruitless is this. We envision more than we can accomplish. 
Like Adam's working very, very hard. With the sweat of his brow, he is working very, very hard to produce food to eat. And what does the food, what does the, the land produce for him? Thorns, thistles. And we experience the same thing in our work. We can work really, really hard and we have a vision for what we're going to accomplish and we fall short of it time and time again. It could be because we don't quite have the ability to accomplish what we thought we were going to accomplish. Or we have the resistance of the environment that we're in so we can't accomplish what we want to accomplish. And so our work becomes frustrated. You, you have aspirations for something and they don't realize. Like some of you wanted to be one thing, but you're doing another thing. Maybe you wanted to be a pilot and you are a trucker. Or maybe you always dreamed of being a writer. You love to write, but you ended up in sales. And all of us have these hopes and dreams about our work that just don't materialize in our lives because of the frustration we experience through the resistance of sin at work in our lives. Or, or maybe you, you, you work and you go to work and you do your work, yet you're dissatisfied by your work because things don't work out as well as you hoped. As a, as a preacher, I can tell you this is a constant struggle for people who preach. Every time you write a sermon, you have these lofty goals for your sermon and you always fall short of those goals. And you always end up with a, a sermon that, that doesn't quite capture what it is you are attempting to capture. J.R. Tolkien talks about this. He, he wrote uh, The Lord of the Rings, uh, a great trilogy, the, one of the greatest fantasy trilogies ever produced. And uh, he talked about how it was, such, it was so hard for him to actually write this thing because every time he wrote a section of it, he would read it over again and he would say, no, 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 that, that wording's wrong or I could have done that sentence better. And so he would rewrite it and then he would rewrite it again and he would rewrite it again and he couldn't get anywhere with it. And so finally, he wrote a little story to uh, describe his experience. It was called Leaf by Niggle. I won't tell you what the story is. I don't have time to do this morning. Maybe eventually I will. But the leaf was, he was an, okay, I'll tell you a little bit. An artist by the name of Niggle wanted to paint a beautiful landscape. He had a tree in, in, in mind. And behind it was a, was a vast, beautiful landscape uh, that, that, that came out of this tree. And, and it was supposed to be this beautiful painting. And he spent his entire life painting one leaf for this tree. And his name is Niggle. You know what it is to Niggle? fiddle around with things over and over and over and over and over again. Because we can feel that we have these aspirations, we're reaching for something to accomplish something, and we just don't quite get there. That's one way work is fruitless. Another way you can be, find your work fruitless is you're, you're satisfied with your effort. You've tried really, really hard, and you've done the best you can, but then you don't get the results that you want. Maybe you're a farmer and you, you bought the best seeds and you got the best equipment you could and you planted at the right time and, and you've, you've understood the soil and you've done your research about fertilization and you've done the, you know, you've fertilized properly, etc. But then you run into a drought. Or maybe you run into a season where there's too much rain and in the end your harvest is, is only a, a small percentage of what you planned for. Work is hard, man. It's hard. Maybe you're a, a, a singer 
and you're really, really good, but you can't make it because you're not a very good marketer. You're not a very good self-promoter. You never got discovered the way other people get discovered. You know, there's a lot of so-called luck involved in success. And you wonder, why didn't that luck fall on me? Or you're an athlete, and you worked very, very hard, and you, you got up early, and you trained like crazy, and you finally get your shot, and you blow your knee out, and your career is over before it even started. Friends, by the sweat of our brow we work, and the land produces thorns and thistles. Now, here's why I'm emphasizing this. Today, it seems like we have put a tremendous burden on work to satisfy us, to fulfill us. We say that we, 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 we ask ourselves, does this job that I'm pursuing, does this work that I'm doing, does it fulfill my, my dreams? Does it use my talents to the best of, of my ability? Does it, does it internally satisfy me? You know, a hundred years ago, if you asked somebody, uh, you know, do you find your job fulfilling? Do you find it satisfying? They would say, well, it's paying the bills, it's putting food on the table, I've got a stable life for my family, yeah. And maybe back then they had kind of a low view of work and they didn't understand the, the, need, the, the desire to enjoy what you do. But today it seems like we, put, we have almost a, a high view, a naive and unrealistic view of work where, where if work doesn't give us everything we're demanding of it, the sense of, of inner fulfillment that every day I wake up thinking that I am doing the, the most important thing I could be for me and for the world and every night I go to bed feeling utterly satisfied in the things that I do, that's... That's forgetting the fact that work has been affected by the fall. Here's my point. Just because you haven't realized the highest aspirations, your highest aspirations in your work, does not mean that you have chosen the wrong job. Nor does it mean that you are necessarily called to another profession. Or that you should spend your life looking for a career that is devoid of frustration because that is a fruitless search for any of us, my friends. We should expect work to be frustrating, even when we're in the exact right vocation for us. Because it's the result of the fall. There is a tension, you see, that we have to live with if you're a Christian you live with this tension because you're created to find work fulfilling and, and to really find satisfaction in what you do. But because we live before the time when Jesus has redeemed all things, when we're living in this between time where we're redeemed by Christ, but we still live in a fallen world, our work is never going to fully satisfy us. And at times, our work is going to make us feel like a complete failure. <laughs> Work can be fruitless because of the fall. Work can also be pointless because of the fall. What do I mean by that? Now we're going to turn to the Ecclesiastes passages that Ashley read. First of all, it makes sense that we all want work to be meaningful. Of course, we want to make an impact. We, everybody wants to feel like what they're doing is useful in the world, and that is a good thing. But here the teacher reminds us in uh, chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, or 18 and 19, he says, you know, you better have the right perspective. He says in verse 18, I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. 
Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil, which I have poured my effort and and skill, into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. What's he saying? Look, every one of us, at the end of the day, we die. And we don't get to take it with us. And we can't assure that the, the, the work that we have established uh, over the course of our lives is going to carry on. Someone else is going to take on the work that we left behind. And, and if they're a fool, they're going to dismantle your legacy really quickly. <laughs> but if they're a shrewd manager, if they're wise, it'll just happen a little more slowly. Or maybe they'll do a better job than you and you'll be forgotten because their legacy outstrips your own. We don't like the idea sometimes that one generation will take over uh, what we've built and what we've done. You see this sometimes in uh, family businesses when the generation that should be finished and should maybe step out of the way to let the next generations take over can't let go. There's a, a grave in Westminster Abbey in London where on the headstone it says... I plowed only water. Meaning you're working hard in one direction, but you look back behind you and it all just by time or by the work of another person or whatever the circumstances, it all ends up gone. That's you, that's me. We don't make an ultimately lasting impact. Isn't that beautiful? (laughs) Like, look, if there's no God then our incredible civilization that we live in is just a lucky blip in the history of time. Let's say we last as a civilization for a thousand years. What is a thousand years in a universe of multiple billions of years old? We are shorter than an eye blink. But that's the truth if there is no God. And so why invest so much time in your work? Why, if it's pointless, if if it's utterly pointless because it's not going to last, there is no legacy that can carry on and continue, why do we bother with it so much? Why do we try so hard? And that's the third thing that work can become. It's because we become selfish. In verse 4 of Ecclesiastes 4, it says this, I saw that all toil and all achievements spring spring, from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after a a wind. What does he mean, envy? Maybe you're here going, I'm not working because I'm envious. I'm just trying to put food on the table for my family, a roof over our heads, that kind of thing. I'm not jealous of of anybody, but, but there's a thing under what the teacher is saying that exists underneath the envy, where it comes from. What he's saying is, is that within people there is a drivenness. That that we work not just to build a life and provide for our families, but actually to build a self. What's the second question people ask you when you meet them? What's your name? What do you do? What do you do? And if you have a prestigious job, it's not so hard to say, well, I'm a fill in the blank, whatever you think is prestigious. And you're happy to tell people what you do. But if you have a less prestigious job, you have a 
a, a job that doesn't seem to get much uh, respect in our society. You might even be embarrassed to tell people what you do. You say, oh, I, I'm just ah. Uh. I've heard people say that too. Because today, in our world, work has become a way that we justify ourselves. It's a way that we demonstrate that we have a right to be here, that we are good, that we, are, we, are, we deserve to, to receive respect and uh, uh, praise from those around us. We deserve to be able to hold our head high and say, yes, this is what I am, this is what I do, and therefore I can look at you uh, in the eye without a sense of guilt or shame or uh, inferiority or any of those kinds of things. Keeping up with the Joneses isn't really all about stuff and comparing our net worth. It's really more about our existential worth. And this often leads to overwork. And look at verse 8. It says, There was a man all alone who had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his work. Now notice, it talks about him being all alone. And connecting that to how he has to work and work and work and he has nobody to, to share it with and he's not content with his, with his wealth. Why would that be? Because this man who is all alone is trying to seek an identity from his work. And you think to yourself, well, what does that look like? Well, I can give you a very personal example. My own father told me this. He came to this country when he was 16 years old. He was sponsored, I think, by an older brother who as soon as my dad got here went back to the Netherlands, so now my dad is a 16-year-old in Canada all by himself. But one of the reasons he was here was to prove to his stepfather that he was not a bum, that he was not a failure. And so he spent the next 40 years working his tail off, building a business, becoming a successful man so that he could go back one day and say to his father-in-law, see, you are wrong. And that story can be told and retold and retold dozens upon dozens of times, probably from people in this room right now. Because we use work as a way of justifying our existence. Listen, Madonna, okay, Madonna. In an interview with Vanity Fair magazine, she said this, I have an iron will. All of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I'm always struggling with that fear. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being, and then I get to another stage and think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. If you've ever seen the movie Chariots of Fire, it's about two guys who are both going to run in the 100-meter final of the Olympic Games. And one of them, Harold Abrams, talking about why he runs, says to a, a friend, a colleague, another runner, he says, I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. Ask yourself, how do I get ahead in the working world? I thought, I'll ask Google how I get ahead in the working world. And so Google told me, be selfish in your work. That it turns out, studies have demonstrated that nice guys often do finish last. And that when you work in corporate America or corporate Canada, when you work in corporations, you've always got to make sure that you're standing out. And the way you stand out is be sure to take credit for things. When you can take credit for things, make sure that the boss sees you working hard. And sometimes if you're working in teams, make sure that you're at the front of the, the team meeting with the, with the higher-ups rather than sitting around the room with, with everybody else in a support role. You've got to get yourself out there. 
Ayn Rand, I don't know if you've heard of Ayn Rand, she was a philosopher of the 20th century and she became very popular among uh, business types. She writes this, she says, man, every man is an end in himself, not a, mean to the end, not a means to the ends of others. He must live for his own sake, neither sacrificing himself to others nor sacrificing others to himself. He must work for his rational self-interest with the achievements of his own happiness as the highest moral purpose of his life. <laughs> with the achievements of his own happiness as the highest moral purpose of his life. They call it the rat race. Why is it a rat race? Because a rat race originally was experiments where you took two rats and you had one piece of cheese and you set them off and they raced. It was a competition between the two rats to see who was going to get the cheese first. And this is how people live today. They use their work to make a name for themselves, to give themselves a sense of identity, a sense of self. I remember talking to someone when they retired, not just, it was a few years ago, they retired somewhat unexpectedly and they were adjusting themselves to retired life and at one point they said to me, you know, it's hard for me to know who I am now that I'm not working. And if you're one of those people who's retired, maybe you, you've had similar experiences. You wonder like, who am I now that I'm not a X? Very depressing, very depressing. Hopefully we're all very depressed by now. I've tried hard to depress you. Are we all doomed to hate work? Is that, is that how it goes? Well, thankfully, no. The teacher does give us some teaching here that can hopefully bring us out of our doldrums. There's two things that we need to turn work. We need, there's two things we need to turn work from being a burden to a pleasure. Look, first of all, at verse 24 of Ecclesiastes 2. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see is from the hand of God. How interesting is this? Essentially what the, work, what the, the teacher is saying is, is that to be satisfied in your work is a gift from God. In other words, you, you can't find the thing you want from work in work. That sense of satisfaction, that sense of peace, that sense of accomplishment that you're hoping work will give you, you cannot get that from working, simply from working. It, that sense of satisfaction, that is a gift from God as well. You can't make yourself satisfied with your work. That is something that God gives us. Okay, good to know. Doesn't solve the problem though. Maybe makes things worse. So now you're telling me that no, how, no matter how hard I work, I'll never feel satisfied with it unless God gives me the gift of satisfaction. That's exactly it. But there's more to it. Look at verse 25 and 26. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. Here's what the teacher is saying. You need to connect your work to the giver of the work. What did we say last week that work was? What was our definition of work? It was this. The gracious expression of creative energy in the service of others. Or, another way of putting it is this way. It's to love your neighbor as yourself. See, through our work, we can fulfill 
the great commandment. Love your Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, as we work, we are loving other people and improving the world. We are serving other people. We got to see our work as that. Why do we do any of it though? We do it. We serve others ultimately to please God. So if you drive a truck, you say, I'm going to drive my truck to the best of my ability. I'm going to be safe on the roads. I'm going to follow all the traffic laws. I'm going to get to my, my, uh, my destination on time with my load uh, in proper order. And I do that because God is pleased with me when I do my work well, no matter what it is. I remember my father always said, we owned, he owned a grocery store. I grew up in a grocery store, bagging groceries, cutting meat, doing all that kind of stuff. And my dad always said, we're here to make Mrs. Consumer's Day a little better. Now, he was, this is the 80s, okay? So only, only women shopped. <laughs> so, so it was Mrs. Consumer. But we were here to make Mrs. Consumer's Day better. Our job was meant to serve other people, just like in any work, we are meant to serve other people. Now, when that becomes our focus, when we're here to please God, remember what it says in verse 26, to the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. When we work to please God through serving other people, the distortion is, is corrected. It's no longer fruitless because not, we're not looking for it, for, we're not looking to it for the same kind of satisfaction that we were looking for. We're simply looking at seeing other people pleased by the well, the, the well done work that we do. One more thing. The distortion is, cor is corrected because we have to, when we look at our work through the lens of the gospel, we realize that work was never meant to satisfy the things that we can only get from God. Remember we talked about in the fall, Adam and Eve, they fell, they lost fellowship with God. They lost their identity, their sense of purpose, their, their sense of worth that they got from God. They lost it, they were banished from the garden, and what did they do? They went to work. And through their work, it says, uh, I won't go back to it, but what it says, well, sure, I'll go back to it. So the Lord God banished him. This is verse 23 of Genesis 3. The Lord God banished Adam from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. So work remained a job, but now it was a job that was disconnected from the God who created him for it. And so he went to work simply to... to, to he started making music. Humanity started building businesses. Humanity started creating art. Why? To restore that sense of identity. To quiet that inner murmur of self-reproach that speaks in our hearts. Like Madonna. But the gospel is this. The gospel is that Jesus came into this world and he did the work. He did the work of reconciling you to God. You don't have to find your self-worth in, in what you accomplish and what you produce, how, how big your, your uh, house is or how big your retirement fund is. You don't have to find your identity in, in the prestige of the vocation that you've chosen, the career path that you're working in. You find your identity in who you are in Jesus Christ because whether you are a venture capitalist uh, working on Bay Street every day or you are a custodian cleaning toilets, 
toilets every day, Jesus looks at you, or God the Father looks at you, and he sees his prized, beautiful child who he is fully pleased with because of the work that Jesus has done on your behalf on the cross. And once that's removed, once that need to prove yourself through your work is removed, it can become a service that you appreciate and you enjoy doing. But sometimes it's frustrating and sometimes it's unfulfilling and sometimes it feels pointless. But you know that ultimately, whatever you do for the pleasure of God brings a smile to his face. Work, friends, has its place in our lives. Don't give it too high a place in your life because it will never, ever, ever give you what we're looking for. Only Jesus will give us that. Let's pray. Father, we spend so much time, so much time on the job and it becomes very easy for us to look to that job to satisfy us at the deepest level. Yes, we want to enjoy work. We we want to be able to get up every day and, and be happy about what we get to do. But there are many, many reasons and many, many occasions when our work simply will not be as satisfying as we assume it will be. We'll be frustrated by our own failures. We'll be frustrated by uh, the interruptions and the obstacles we face because of the world in which we live. There are many reasons for us to be frustrated with our work, but may we, may we always remember, oh God, that when we work to please you, when we do our jobs to the best of our ability in order to show you how thankful we are for your sacrifice, giving your son to make us your children, that that pleases you. And may that be enough for us. May we not seek the accolades of men. May we not chase after the praises of people. But to please you, to hear you tell us, well done, good, faithful servant, well done. May that be the most satisfying thing our hearts could ever know. And we can know it in Jesus, our Savior. Work on us, we pray, O God. In your Son's name we pray. Amen.